You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome in, everybody, to the flagship podcast preview. We are previewing Texas and Iowa State. I am Chip Brown of Horns 24-7, joined by Michael Swain of our Iowa State uh, 24-7 site. He is is the expert. He, he's all-knowing when it comes to the Cyclones. You can read him at CycloneAlert.com. Michael, how you doing? I'm doing great. Really excited for what should be maybe one of the best Big 12 games of the year this weekend. It, it should be, you know, definitely uh, an exciting game and certainly has a a lot of stakes for the Big 12 title race. I mean, and I'm sitting here, I'm reading about Iowa State, and I'm reading things like they've equaled the school record for conference wins with six. They've they've ensured a fourth straight winning season, which is happening for the first time since 1928. And if they can win against Texas and basically win their next three games, including the Big 12 title game. They would win their first outright conference championship since 1912. Is that right, Michael? Yes, that is exactly correct. It, it's been a long time coming, and it certainly seems like it's been a yearly occurrence of breaking records since Matt Campbell took over as head coach, um, especially since Brock Purdy started as quarterback as well. I think Brock Purdy now owns something like 23-plus school records now. And you think he's still got a couple more games this season and then possibly another season or two, depending on what he decides. But this has been definitely an, uh, a historic season for Iowa State. The first time they started 5-1 and one in the conference in school history, um, just up and down. It feels like every week when we get sent the weekly notes by um, the sports information people at Iowa State, it seems like every week there's a new record being broken or there's something else that's being set, whether it be you know Brees Hall with the running the ball or Brock Purdy passing the ball. It's definitely been just a historic season and a historic couple of seasons for Iowa State. Well, we've got a lot to get into with Michael Swain this uh, Thanksgiving flagship podcast preview looking ahead to Texas and Iowa State. They will kick off at 11 a.m. on Friday. Texas has a lot going on that day. It's senior day, Sam Ellinger's last home game, along with uh, some really talented seniors, Sam Cosme, and we'll we'll get into that. But uh, also the unveiling of the Julius Whittier statue, the first black letterman at Texas. There will be a 12-and-a-half-foot uh, statue unveiled. And they're also honoring the 1970 Texas National Championship team. But uh, as Michael said, I mean, there's a lot on the line here. Texas trying to keep its uh, Control Your Destiny tour alive. And, and Iowa State, let's get back to the beginning uh, because a lot of people's first impression of the Cyclones, uh, Michael, was their non-conference loss um, to Louisiana. And take us back to that game. All I remember is Matt Campbell not calling timeout at the end of that game and just watching time pour off the clock as Louisiana ground through the Iowa State defense to a one final touchdown. Um, what was going on that day? Um, why do you think Iowa State lost that game? And 
and then we'll talk about the rebound. Definitely. Um, that was such a weird game just in general. Um, you think back to that first weekend of September, um, there were no fans in the stands and that was definitely a weird atmosphere to not have, you know, a Jack Trice stadium that is historically packed and loud and to have it be, you know, dead quiet when that game is happening, it was a little eerie. Um, and I think from the national perspective, maybe something that doesn't get mentioned is some stuff that Matt Campbell has said in the weeks since the season opener, where after the game, he basically maintained that they'll be all right, that everything will be all, all good. But in the week since he kind of hinted at the fact that Iowa state was dealing with some issues during fall camp. Um, it certainly sounds like from what he said that Iowa state was kind of in their second week of full practice when that season opener started. And in the week since um, he's also mentioned that the starting Mike linebacker, Orion Vance, um, one of the backup running backs, Jirel Brock, um, one of the extra offensive linemen, and just several guys were dealing with injuries during kind of that lead up to that Louisiana game. And something that Matt Campbell maintained throughout the beginning of preseason and then into that Louisiana game was that the team was going to take a big picture approach to this season. Because of the three bye weeks, because of how extended it was going to be, they weren't going to try and rush guys back to be at you know, tip top shape when the season opener happened. So I think what you saw in that game was just a rusty team playing their first game in several months, no spring ball, a really different fall camp. Um, and I think in the weeks since, what you've seen is a team really find their identity. I think in that game, you look and Brock Purdy threw a, a ton of passes. He wasn't accurate, probably one of his worst performances, um, you know, as a cyclone. And yet, you know, in the weeks since, we've seen them kind of shift to being more of a, a ball control team. You know, Brees Hall has really come on strong this season after a real solid finish to his freshman campaign. And he's really been the focal point of that offense. Um, I think you've seen in the games that Iowa State has struggled this year, mainly against Oklahoma State, it's when teams slow Brees Hall down. And, you know, for this Iowa State offense, you need Brees Hall to open up other things. Because if you all of a sudden take Brees Hall away, you're going to force Brock Purdy to throw. And he doesn't have the wide receivers he had in years past. You look at guys like Alan Lazard, Hakeem Butler, you know, it doesn't really have those type of playmakers. But just in terms from a big picture perspective, I really think the biggest thing has just been that sharpness. Um, they really were dealing with those issues early on in the season. You know, they missed Charlie Kohler, the All-Big 12 tight end, that opening game. He had a sports hernia surgery, but he's back. And so I think you've just seen a team really find their identity over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, Brees Hall, I mean, what a, what a story. He leads the nation in rushing. Um, he's got 1,169 rushing yards. He's got what, 15 rushing touchdowns. The guy has been a monster, and he's running behind an offensive line that had to replace four starters. So talk about hmm. that story. I mean, yeah. the emerg we knew Brees Hall was good last year, but this is, this is pretty special stuff. 100%. I mean, you mentioned replacing four starters. How about replacing two starters since the start of the season? And still doing all this, you know, Iowa State law, they had two starters coming back, really. Um, one of them missed most of last season. So that's why it's four starters replaced. But, you know, Trevor Downing was the starting left guard and he was really going to be one of the focal points of this offensive line. Well, he goes down in the first half of that Louisiana game. He hasn't played since, um, I, you know, I was up in Ames this past weekend for the Kansas State game and he still had a boot on his ankle. Um, and so they've been in without him. Joey Ramos, the starting right tackle, went down against Texas Tech. Iowa State has now played four games without him. And so I think what you've seen really is an offensive line that's been a little makeshift for at, at points this season. And yet the consistency from Brees Hall has just been spectacular. I mean, it's, it's crazy what he's done this year. I think to start off the season, 
uh, with eight games of a hundred yards rushing and one rushing touchdown. The only other player to do more that more to start a season was Ladanian Tomlinson. And then if you look at some of the games, you know, or you compare his numbers through eight games, they compare to Reggie Bush. Like this is just a spectacular season from Brees Hall. He's doing it consistently. And even in games, like I mentioned the Oklahoma State game a second ago, even in games where Brees Hall doesn't have a ton of yardage and his yards per carry aren't great, he still breaks off one, maybe two 40-plus yard runs. So his just ability to break off big runs is just game-changing, and it really helps the Iowa State offense a ton. Yeah, and he can catch the ball out of the backfield. Yeah, exactly. We've seen that more a little bit of late, too. Um, that's something that I think Matt Campbell, after that Louisiana game, you know, he said that Brees Hall needs to be better just all around, you know, blocking, catching the ball. And as the season has progressed, I mean, I remember a play um, a few weeks back where Brees Hall literally decked two defensive linemen while pass blocking just because he chop blocked one of them and was able to take out a second guy. So he's just been an all around back. And he's someone that really can play on all three or four downs, depending on if, you know, five states aggressive. Talking to Michael Swain of CycloneReport.com, the Iowa State site on the 24-7 sports network. We'll take a quick break, but we'll be right back on the flagship preview podcast looking ahead to Texas and Iowa State this Friday. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Michael, let's get into Brock Purdy because he and Sam Ellinger were the the two probably you know veteran most talked about uh, quarterbacks in the league, and it seems like both have pressed a little bit this year at times. Uh, Brock Purdy, as good as he was against K State in that forty five nothing route, and he was 16 of 23 touchdown passes, no picks, ran seven times for 59 yards. It seemed like he was just that bad the previous game against Baylor where he had three interceptions, including a pick six in the second quarter that, that put Baylor up 21-7. Take us through the ups and downs of Brock Purdy. It really has been. I think you used the right word there, press. Um, that's the big thing with Brock Purdy this season. It's been in the games where Brock has been really good. He's been able to do stuff in the flow of the offense. I mean, you look at Kansas state, you look at what he did in the second half against Baylor. It's in these games where he gets rushed and pressured and he has to make plays happen that I think you see him struggle um, against Louisiana. You saw him press a lot when things didn't start going their way um, against Oklahoma state. Brock Purdy had a run for his life for the second half. Like he was scrambling all over the place. And I think it's those instances where Brock Purdy tries to make something happen out of nothing that we find danger. Because you look at that first interception against Baylor. I mean, I don't know what he's thinking. He's rolling out of the pocket. He's got a guy bearing down right in front of him. He just hurls it downfield. And it's like 10 yards short of the guy he was aiming for. It's those moments where he's like, all right, I'm going to make this happen now. It's that, it's those times when he really starts to struggle. And so what I think you saw against Kansas State from an Iowa State perspective that would be encouraging is that Brock Purdy was able to be a game manager. And I know that's such a negative 
term these days with what you see in the NFL and quarterbacks like that. But I think when Brock Purdy is able to take what the defense gives, whether that is, you know, using play action to get the tight ends open, whether that's using RPOs to get some of the wide receivers open on some short routes, you know, it's when Brock Purdy can just sit down, do one read, you know, three-step drop and throw. That's when you see him at when he's at his best. It's those instances when he's rolling out of the pocket and trying to make something happen out of nothing where he has those highlight plays, but also those negative plays as well that have really hurt Iowa State this season. Um, and you mentioned the tight ends, my goodness, and Gary Patterson on the Big 12 coaches call this week said their length at tight end is a problem. Of course, Iowa State went into Fort Worth and beat TCU. Uh, I believe that was the week before uh, TCU came to Austin and beat Texas. Mm-hmm. But um, the tight ends, it's amazing. They're, they're all built like Rob Gronkowski. I mean, it's yeah. Charlie Kohler, 6'6", 257. Chase Allen, 6'7", 240. Dylan Saner, 6'7", 272. And Texas saw those guys up close and personal last year in the, in the 23-21 loss in Ames on Connor Asali's um, game-winning, uh, what, 36-yarder. As, as time expired, but how have those tight ends gotten better? And mm-hmm. I believe Chase Allen and Dylan Sainer are seniors. Charlie Kohler, a junior. Are we going to see any of those guys back next year? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, and I guess starting with the second half of it, I don't know. I think a lot of it might depend on how this season ends for Iowa State. I, I think you'll probably see Kohler come back. Um, but as for someone like Chase Allen or Dylan Sainer, I mean, those guys are, they've been around and they may say, Hey, if Iowa state goes on and has some success at the end of this season that, Hey, maybe our job here is done. Maybe I'm going to go try and do professional football and see how that works. But you know, as for the three tight ends, you know, I think Chase Allen's the one that maybe has developed the most over the past calendar year. I think you look back to last season And I think what he was able to do, he was able to run block a lot and he was really good in those situations. But I think this season you see him become more of a passing threat. Um, I think against Texas Tech, you know, Iowa State went to him a couple times and he's someone that with his length, with his size, and he's a pretty fluid guy. He has some herky jerkiness to him, but in terms of just the fluidity of his routes, he's pretty smooth getting in and out. And so I think what you've seen from him is he's allowed Iowa State to have just another receiving threat in that tight end group. Of course, you know, someone like Kohler who's a all big 12 um, caliber player, he's going to get a lot of attention. And so I think Allen being able to be that receiving threat has maybe helped this offense stay a little bit more balanced and not as reliant on Kohler. Um, And I I think his season has been interesting. He had a sports hernia before the season, missed that season opener and really worked his way back into health, you know, in that first kind of three game part of the big 12 season, um, but I think he could be a big piece this Saturday. Honestly, it seems like he's kind of one of Brock Purdy's security blankets. Um, in that second half against Oklahoma State, when things weren't going well, you know, Purdy really only targeted Chase Allen, Charlie Kohler, and Xavier Hutchinson, the wide receiver. So I think what you've seen from those tight ends is Brock Purdy feels really comfortable going to him, and they do so much in terms of blocking in the run game with some of their blocks at, out of an F back position or at the line of scrimmage attached. Um, they're real big pieces to this offense, and they're, that's what makes this offense unique. Not many teams use those three tight ends. Yeah, no, and they are a load. Um, you mentioned Xavier Hutchinson. Um, he's the classic big receiver. He's not maybe as big. Um, well, Sean Shaw's 6'6 at wide receiver, number two, but 
Xavier Hutchinson has emerged as the guy, 6'3", 207. He's number eight. Um, what are you seeing from Hutchinson uh, in that receiving core? Man, he is really the the focal point, I would say, of that receiving core. Um, he's someone that maybe early on this season took some time to get used to playing with Brock Purdy just because there was no spring ball. He's a junior college transfer, and there wasn't time to get the timing down on the routes. And I think Xavier said something very interesting, I thought, after this Kansas State game where he said at practice all year, if he and Brock Purdy don't connect on a pass, that Brock says, all right, hold on, we're pausing practice. Like, we're going to complete this pass on this route. Um, and they'll do it until they complete it. And I think that maybe gives a, a picture into how hard Xavier Hutchinson has worked this season to get into shape and to get into a, a good connection with Purdy. And I think, you know, something you've seen as of late is he's playing with so much more confidence. I think you can see when he has the ball in his hands and he's running, he's running like a madman. Like I think that there's a couple of plays against Kansas State where he's just running and he looks like he's going to run through people, that he's got really good speed there too. Um, so I think he's someone that, maybe isn't going to blow you over the top with some straight line speed, but I think he's someone that, you know, if you get him on a slant, that he could easily break a touchdown off of plays like that. And I think you've seen Brock Purdy maybe find some rhythm there with some RPO looks to Xavier Hutchinson. And I think that's something you'll probably see a good amount of on Saturday or Friday, I should say. Talking to Michael Swain of cyclonealert.com and uh, previewing Texas and Iowa state. And I, I mean, the defense is, is where uh, we expected them to be strong. Nine starters back. Um, the guy who I loved last year was, was Greg Eisworth at, at safety, but the guy who's just dominating uh, for Iowa State this year and has a chance to be the Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year is Mike Rose, um, the junior linebacker, number 23, 6'4". He's 245. He leads the the league in interceptions. He's top three or four in tackles. And I mean, what are we seeing from, from Mike Rose? Just an elite football player. Like it, it's crazy to me. I think that someone of that size, you know, you, you mentioned the size there that he can move as fast as he does. Um, That's like Erlacher. Yeah, exactly. Like, so there's a play on Saturday um, against Kansas state Deuce Vaughn from Kansas State, a really fast running back, someone that's hard to tackle. And Mike Rose tracked him down in the backfield, like closed the space in a split second. And so he's someone that I think is really a focal point of this defense at that Sam linebacker position. He's someone that, you know, does a lot of things in terms of fitting the run, in terms of playing some zone underneath. I think he's, some of his interceptions this season have come when he's had the ability to kind of read a play as it happens. Now, I think for this weekend, you know, something to keep an eye on throughout the week um, is how he's doing health-wise. There was a clip at the end of the Kansas State game that showed him leaving the field with a little bit of a limp. Um, and so that's something that we'll have to keep an eye on. Matt Campbell is not super forward with injury updates. So we'll ask. We'll see what he says. But I'd say stay tuned to our site for updates on that. But just in terms of ability, he's someone that is just a game changer. He comes up with such big plays. You know, I think of his interceptions this season. They've come on big moments. The one against TCU basically seals the win, you know, in Fort Worth. Um, he's someone that is just a big-time player for this football team and someone that I think is really kind of a leader of that defense along with Greg Eisworth, as you mentioned. Yeah, definitely uh, look for number 23 on that Iowa State defense because he's, uh, he's fun to watch. And probably the group that um, – uh, well, their defensive line, Jaquan Bailey, 
who I remember as a freshman making plays against Texas in that shutout win up in Ames is now a senior and 6'2", 261. I think he hurdled a player to get a sack. I mean, mm-hmm. he's super athletic, number three. Um, and and Tom Herman was glowing about Isaiah Lee, the, the sophomore nose tackle, number 93. Um, but tell us about that Iowa State defensive line. Man, I, I think they have one of the best defensive lines in the Big 12. Um, and I think just the thing that makes this defensive line so good is the versatility it has. They really have six guys that they can rotate on that three-man front and really not have a huge drop in production. Um, you mentioned Jaquan Bailey. He's definitely the the focal point, I feel like, of that defensive line. He's someone that is just going to take double teams all afternoon, and he's someone that you know is going to do that and then split it a couple of times and get a tackle for loss or get a sack. Um, he's someone that is just a dominant player in general. He's someone that can take over a game. I mean, you have to look no further than his first half against TCU early in the season. I think he had three and a half sacks, um, a sack fumble that really changed the game. He's someone that in a split second can really change the momentum of the game. Um, and then you look kind of on the other side, you look at Isaiah Lee, who you mentioned there at kind of that nose guard position, you know, Iowa state lost its nose guard after last season. And that was a position that there may be some question marks at coming into this season of who's going to fill in there. How consistent are they going to be? And Isaiah Lee has played really well this year. I'd say Joshua Bailey has played really well at that spot too. And then you kind of look at maybe that boundary side defensive end position. And then they've got a defensive end, I was Arike, who is really good at stuffing the run. He's someone that's been kind of consistent, doesn't get a lot of, doesn't get mentioned a bunch, but he's just consistently, you know, producing from that spot. But I think the guy that, you know, Texas fans should really focus on this weekend is going to be Will McDonald. He is a, a freak of nature in all the good ways. He's got length, size, explosiveness. You know, Jaquan Bailey set the record for uh, career sacks this season, and Will McDonald could break it next season if he has a, an incredible season. You know, he's just someone that is a sack machine. He has a half sack in almost every game this season. Um, They've lined him up on the same side as Jaquan Bailey, which isn't fair. Um, You know, having those two guys on one side of the football um, really would create some havoc for any offensive line. So I think what you've seen from that defensive line this season is a lot of consistency from kind of the older pieces. And then I've seen, I think you've seen from maybe some of the younger guys like a Will McDonald, Zach Peterson, guys like that that have really come in and flashed and performed well, despite only getting, you know, about 15 to 20 snaps a game. Um, really good stuff. I mean, this is a salty Iowa State defense, and it's led by coordinator John Haycock, who Tom Herman um, gives all the credit to for the 3-8 cloud defense that is sort of proliferated the Big 12, Baylor played it um, with perfection last year under Matt Rule, um, and John Haycock gets the credit for, for introducing that uh, against Texas in Ames in 2017, according to Tom Herman. Not sure. Um, never went back and checked the film uh, before that game. But um, talk about that relationship with, you know, between Matt Campbell and John Haycock, the defensive coordinator. Yeah, definitely. They worked together at Toledo. Um, and I think there's a lot of trust between the two of them. Um, I think what you've seen Haycock do this season specifically is adjust on the fly. Um, I think you've seen Iowa State get off to maybe some slower starts at the start of games defensively. I think specifically about maybe the Oklahoma game. Um, and there are some other instances this season as well. But 
Then all of a sudden, kind of in the second half, the defense will clamp down. And by the end of the game, you look at kind of some of the second half stats. And usually the second half stats are a lot less than the first half stats, which is odd when you think about college football and how, you know, garbage time can kind of impact stats in terms of just the overall numbers. Um, but I think what you've seen too is as time has gone on, now we're at the point where a lot of these guys have been in this, you know, three, three, five scheme for a while. So I think there's some great understanding and there's, you know, really good cohesion there in terms of guys like Greg Eisworth, Lawrence White, who have played a lot of football, you know, Mike Rose as well. So I think Haycock really trusts what those guys can do and what they bring. And so I think he's able to throw maybe more at them. Then if you had maybe a younger defense that they're just trying to learn the scheme, I think now you've seen this defense really kind of almost become chameleon-like just with how they change throughout the game. You know, sometimes they'll drop kind of that middle safety um, towards the line of scrimmage and they'll let him kind of go be a run blitzer and go fit the run a lot. Or sometimes they'll switch it up and drop him back a little deeper and play more, you know, almost like cover three. So, you know, I think there's just a lot of stuff that Iowa State can do because they've got such a, a versatile defense, but also just an experienced one. We were talking about um, talking to, to Michael Swain of uh, CycloneAlert.com on the, on the 24-7 sports network covering Iowa State. And I asked you which was the more convincing win um, that Iowa State has had this season? Would it be the 45 nothing shutout of a, of a depleted K-State team without its two, two of its best defenders and maybe its best receiver in Malik Knowles? But, or the Oklahoma game where they beat OU in Ames um, 37-30 and that was an OU team obviously before they got Ramondre Stevenson and Ronnie Perkins back. But what would you say? Uh, has been the most convincing win, and then we'll get into their one conference loss. Yeah, I think that the Oklahoma one is more impressive. Um, you mentioned the, the depleted Kansas State team, and I think that's pretty true, that that Kansas State team was not at its full strength. And I think just in general, I think when you look at the way that Oklahoma game kind of played out, where Iowa State gets down early, I think they're down 17-6 to six around at the 12-minute mark of the second quarter, and then something changed. And all of a sudden, I think the defense really clamped down. They were able to slow down Spencer Rattler. Um, and I think there are just so many plays in that game that I think give you a peek into what this season has been like for Iowa State. It's big plays from seniors. You know, Kenny Nwongu you know, returns a, a kickoff, I think it was like 80-something yards, and puts Iowa State in the red zone, which sets up a score that really changed the momentum of the game. You know, it's the play of Jaquan Bailey down the stretch where he's, you know, consistently getting in the backfield and forcing Rattler to move around. Um, it's just consistent plays from seniors and then quality play from Brees Hall. Um, down the stretch in that game, just Brees Hall was fantastic. Um, the amount of times he was breaking tackles. Um, and I think there's something to be said for running backs that get better as the game goes on. You know, running backs can be great in the first, second quarters when they're fresh, but can they do in the fourth quarter when they've already had 20 plus carries and a couple other touches, you know, out of the backfield. And I think Brees Hall really did that. And so I think that team just showed a lot of grit. And even though that wasn't a really a good performance overall, um, 
you know, collective. I, I think it was just one of those things where it showed you what this team is about. And it's just about grinding and just kind of working through the adversity and trying to push through it. And you'll get out on the other end. And Matt Campbell talks a lot about it. Um, he talks a lot about daily development. And if you guys are on the Big 12 to- Coaches Teleconference, you guys hear it every week. You know, it's, it's about the daily development and weekly development. And I think that game kind of showed it. The team didn't all of a sudden freak out when they were down by, you know, 11 points. They just kind of stayed the course and were able to persevere. Against Oklahoma State, they lose 24-21. Connor Asali misses a couple of field goals in that game, obviously a three-point game. Um, What went wrong in Stillwater? I I think a lot of things went wrong in that game. Um, I think namely, I think you have to look at the offense just based on how everything happened. You know, really the offense wasn't able to capitalize in the first half. Um, They had a really big run from Brees Hall that set up um, them in a really good position to take a 14-0 lead. They weren't able to capitalize. Oklahoma State comes back and scores. Um, And I think offensively, if you're looking for a recipe to beat Iowa State, I think you saw it against Oklahoma State. You have to play man-to-man coverage on the outside and blitz Brock Purdy like no other. Um, Because what you've seen this season is this offensive line is good, but at times it can be overwhelmed when blitzers come, when there's extra men in the box that end up rushing. And what happens is, is Brock Purdy ends up having to run and scramble. And I mentioned earlier what happens when Brock Purdy runs and scrambles and, you know, turnovers happen and, you know, missed plays happen. Um, so I think Oklahoma State had a lot of success creating pressure and wreaking havoc. And Iowa State's receivers just couldn't get open. And I think that's been a theme this season. Outside of Xavier Hutchinson, they, the other wide receivers have really struggled to create separation. And Iowa State's been without kind of their one guy that would do that. And Tariq Milton, he hasn't played since the Oklahoma game. So, you know, he's someone that Iowa State needs to get back. And if they can get him back this weekend, that'd be a great addition. But I think for a recipe to beat Iowa State, you got to be able to rush Brock Purdy, you know, defend man-to-man on the outside, and then I mean, really stack the box and try and stop Brees Hall which Oklahoma State was able to do with great success. You know, Brees Hall finished with, you know, 100-plus rushing yards, but most of those came on just one or two big runs that he had. So I think if you can really slow Iowa State consistently in the run game, pressure Brock Purdy, I think you'll be able to have really a lot of success against this offense. All right, we're winding things down here with Michael Swain of CycloneAlert.com. Michael Matt Campbell, I'm looking at this roster. I'm seeing in the two deep a lot of juniors and seniors. Um, has he built this thing to where, I mean, obviously they've had four straight winning seasons and that's, that's a first um, since 1928. Um, has he built this thing to where it's sustainable or does he have to have the, you know, can he contend for the conference championship this year? And does he have the players in the pipeline to, to continue to be in regular contention for the big 12 title. Definitely. I think so. Um, And I think if you look at the recruiting classes, Iowa state has brought in, it's something like 12 of the top 25 recruits of all time are currently on the roster and are going to be on the roster for the next year or two. Um, So there's a lot of talent in this roster and Matt Campbell kind of has a saying that he would much rather play you too late than too early. So I think that's why you might, if you glance up and down the death chart or the roster itself at who's playing, you're going to see a lot of veterans and upperclassmen playing because Matt Campbell trusts them. But I think what you've also seen is some younger pieces 
Um, I'll use TJ Tampa, for example. He's someone that was a big recruiting win for Iowa State, um, an athlete out of Georgia. Um, I think he had an offer to play at Georgia. Um, and he's someone that has come in and played kind of as a, as a number two at the cornerback position. He's played pretty well. So I think you've seen some guys this season establish themselves as younger players within the team. But in terms of just the overall development, I think the development of the current recruiting classes um, has been real positive. You look at the senior class and how they've developed. Um, that's real positive. And I think that maybe will show you what happens when Iowa State gets these higher rated recruits because they've had some really good recruiting classes as of late. And all of a sudden, I feel like in the next two years, we're going to see that re those recruiting classes kind of wreak, wreak the peak of their development, which will then hopefully allow Iowa State to compete for a Big 12 title year in and year out. Uh, Matt Campbell has struggled in November, but he's not struggling this November. I think his record uh, in the final month of the season coming into this year was nine and six. But uh, how do you see this game playing out on Friday, Michael? Um, and give us your uh, your prediction. Yeah, I think we're in for a really good game, honestly. Um, I, I think if Mike Rose is able to play and he's at somewhat near full strength, I do like Iowa State's chances just because I think this team has shown that they can win in different ways. They've come from behind. They've established leads and held leads. They've established leads, blown the lead and held on. Um, I think this team has the ability to win in different ways. Now, I think you're still playing against a Texas team that is uber talented and is going to be fired up on senior day, um, especially as you mentioned off the top with everything that's just going to be going on around the program on that day. Um, I think we're in for a really good game. I just think that Iowa State, this just kind of has a feeling of it being their year. It'd be the most 2020 thing ever for the Big 12 title to go to Iowa State, right? You know, in a year like this. But I think they do win. I think you're going to see an efficient Brock Purdy. And I think this is going to be the Brees Hall game where finally Brees Hall is going to get some more of his due. He started to pop up on more Heisman watch lists and kind of people talking about him. But I think we'll see another performance that will really kind of affirm his place there. Um, I think Iowa State probably wins in a close one. I think I said 31-28. Yeah. I mean, Texas only seems to play one possession games. And they certainly <laughs> – they they've I mean, last year's game against Iowa State was – was kind of indicative of the way Texas has, has played this year. So we'll see if, uh, if it comes down to, to Connor Asali or, or Cameron Dicker, Michael, uh, great stuff. Really appreciate the time. Um, Michael Swain of cyclonealert.com uh, for all you annual members at horns 24 seven. And of course, all of you should be annual members. You can go check out cyclone alert and all their VIP content. Um, right now. Um, so thanks to Michael Swain for his time. And thanks to everybody for listening to the flagship preview podcast, previewing Texas and Iowa State. We will uh, have much more to talk about on the flagship podcast next week. Until then, have a great Thanksgiving. I am Chip Brown. Uh, thanks again for listening and stay safe and keep the faith. CBS Friday. TV's hottest show is Fire Country. I'm not a hero. I'm in orange for a reason. They're taking 12 months off your sentence. You're free. Lady. With a special epic season finale. Now that I'm out, I need something to get me up in the morning. You are a firefighter. Used to be. That will be unforgettable. In the name of your life's happiness, go get your girl. She's getting married tomorrow. It says, when do you let anything get in the way of what you want? The Fire Country season finale, Friday, 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.